This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 194 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, so this week's episode is one that um, I have to say I really enjoyed putting together. It's a little bit of a continuation of episode 187, where I talked about ranking my 50 favorite cards. Well, I told you I wasn't going to talk about all 50 on the podcast itself. You can find that on my social media and on my YouTube channel. However, I am going to play the audio of my top 10 for you. Because some of you might have seen bits and pieces of this before, but I thought it would be nice to have it in one place. So that'll be today's main segment, and you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise, though, that my top 10 features quite a few patch cards. And that word gets thrown around a lot when it comes to relics, a lot of times incorrectly. And I made a story post about this this week that received um, a couple of interesting replies. But I wrote, Regular jersey cards are not the same as patches. It sounds petty, but the term has been used to help differentiate prime relics for years. There's been a lot of relic misinformation being circulated the last two years, and it continues. So like I said, I got a a few interesting responses to that, uh, one of which I, I thought was worth addressing today. This particular person wrote, I've heard this so many times, but to be honest, I still don't know the difference. No one that complains about this ever seems to care to share any actual information about the differences. Um, Okay, well, with all due respect, that's not true. First off, I feel like I've addressed this on the show multiple times, including episode 10, which was appropriately titled Patch 101. And uh, before I move on, let's look at the episode description real quick. It says, in this episode, Kyle takes a look at the history of memorabilia cards. In the process, he touches on a number of topics such as player-worn versus game-worn, patch provenance, and patch switching. Now, I understand that episode 10 was a long time ago, but the information's out there nonetheless. Um, Seeing as it was so long ago, though, it seems like it might be a good time for a little refresher, and I'll try to make a visual companion for this to upload on my YouTube as well. So, when it comes to cards, patch is more or less another word for prime relic. Could be part of a team name or logo, could be part of a number, It could be part of a player nameplate. It could be a logo man piece. It could be part of the sponsor patch. It could be a commemorative patch, and so on and so on. Laundry tags are considered prime, um, but they're generally labeled as tags instead of patches. And I I still kind of lump them in, though, because all these things form an additional layer of fabric 
that's either stitched on or pressed on. And I say pressed on because some stuff has been screen printed in the past. Um, and if you don't know what screen printing is, think of like um, the old champion jerseys that you used to buy at JCPenney where uh, that material, it, it's not a patch, but it's just kind of pressed onto the jersey. Now, those were actually pretty common for some franchises in the past, like uh, the Pistons used them in the 1980s. And then Panini used to use screen printed nameplates for some of the rookies at the photo shoot, um, you know, back when we had player worn materials. But a screen printed piece is still considered a patch. And there's another prime part of a jersey that most collectors consider to be a patch, albeit a less desirable form. That would be around the armholes and the neck hole. Um, I guess you could say the waistband as well, because uh, Panini and some of these other manufacturers have used a lot of pairs of shorts. Uh, most people that I know of call this style of patch trim. I've heard people refer to it as piping in the past as well. And then similar to that, some teams have a sort of piping on the side panel of the jersey or the side of the shorts. Uh, I'm thinking mainly the Heat, the Lakers, the Pacers. I'm not a big fan of those pieces, but they are still considered patches nonetheless. So you will see those in some of the prime uh, parallels. So while all of that stuff can and should be labeled a patch, a plain jersey relic should not. Maybe you want to call it a swatch and that's okay, but it's not a patch. And I went through everything in detail just a moment ago, but a good general rule for material is if it's been attached, it's a patch. If it hasn't, it's not. Then it's just a regular old jersey. So a good follow-up question might be, you know, well, what if it has a pinstripe? Or what about those thick stripes built into some of the old Rockets jerseys or Hornets jerseys? And even though those are multicolored, they're still just plain jersey relics. And I know some people might think, well, what's the big deal? You know, why spend all this time or why go all to all this trouble to differentiate between the two? Isn't it just semantics? But it's not really. This patch and jersey designation is one that manufacturers have used for over two decades now because the nicer patch material was usually saved for the nicer parallels of any particular relic card, uh, simply because there's less of it. For example, there was a FLIR insert in 2003 called Courting Greatness. You had the regular insert, which wasn't numbered at all. You had the Courting Greatness jersey that featured plain relics and was numbered to 350. And then you had the Courting Greatness patch parallel, which contained multicolor stitched pieces and was numbered to 150. And that's just one example of how that terminology has been used by manufacturers and price guides to differentiate between the two. And if you don't believe me, go on a site that relies on those designations like Beckett or ComC and type in patches. You're not going to see a bunch of plain jersey relics. And even if you do see something that's a one color relic, it's still a prime material like a solid piece of a number or a team logo. So when people use these terms interchangeably on social media or eBay or as part of hobby content, just know that it muddies the water. And they might not intend to do that, but it muddies the waters. And believe it or not, something as simple as maintaining conventions helps the entire hobby ecosystem, regardless if you're buying patches or not. It helps us when we go to search cards. It ensures that they're logged correctly when we go to record sales data. That data helps us value and comp cards correctly in the future. And of particular interest to me, it helps to combat fraudulent behavior. 
Um, I've studied and tracked relics for years, and I see it every day now. The way that we talk about them is changing. So, at the very least, let's try to educate ourselves and get it right for the sake of everyone involved. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. Like I said earlier, think of the material. If it's been attached, it's a patch. If it hasn't, it's not. All right. Before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier for today's main segment, I want to run through the final 10 cards from my 50 favorite cards countdown. And then make sure to stick around for a moment after number one because I have some parting thoughts that I want to share with you as well. I hope you enjoy. Card number 10, um, if you want to call it that, I think actually there's about 19 cards here and I might have one or two more on the way, but guess what? It's my countdown, so I'm going to make the rules here. Um, Card number 10 is this 2017-2018 Flawless Jumbo Patch of Rick Smith's, and you can see here I have, you know, all the different parallels here. I don't have all of them actually, but Uh, Between all of the parallels, I think there's 25, 15, 10, 5, and 1. So my quick math, if it's correct, there are 56 of these total. So I've got uh, 19 or 20 of them. And, um, you know, growing up, Rick Smits was a a pretty big part of those Pacers teams that were competitive in the mid to late 90s. And one of my very first memories of going to a Pacers game is, is going to the Pacers side. My uncle took me, he said, hey, let's try and get some autographs. And we were able to get Travis Best and Rick Smith. So even though that autograph has kind of faded away on that program, that memory hasn't. So ever since then, I've always wanted to try and pick up some nice Rick Smith's cards. Being a patch guy, I never anticipated that Panini would actually get a hold of a Smith's jersey and make jumbo patches. And they got a hold of a, a white home jersey around 2014 and made some flawless patches, but they were the the dual patches with the smaller pieces. And then 2017 came out, and it had these giant pieces. And um, I was, you know, obsessed with hunting down as many of these as I could. Although I did let some of them go early on, I didn't decide that I was going to hoard them right at the start. I kind of wish I had, but you know what? You can't be greedy. You can't have it all. But I do enjoy getting them whenever I do see them. And I even matched it up to the jersey that Uh, Panini bought online because you can see at the part of the S here and some of the other letters here you can see there's like I don't know if it's blood or what it is it looks red whatever it was but um, that matches up with the jersey that they bought online and this is to kind of show the people out there that say hey you know it makes much more sense to buy a game worn jersey yeah you know what Panini bought this jersey for like 500 bucks and if you do the math here 19 patches I'm not going to tell you what the average cost of these was, but I will say it's it's been more than $500. But the truth of the matter is I don't collect 
signed jerseys. I don't collect full jerseys. I don't like them. They're bulky. I'm a card collector. So yes, I am going to spend more on this. So you can't always look at things in terms of economics. Because I'm sure there are things that you buy out there too. Like, do you buy gum at the convenience store? Okay, well, you should have bought the bigger pack at Walmart. You know, not everything is going to be perfectly ideal when it comes to purchasing. We all have preferences for how we buy. So just keep that in mind. Don't tell people how to collect. Collect what you like. I really like these Rick Smith's Jumbo Patches, if you can't tell. If you see more of them, please let me know. I'm still trying to track them down. And that's why, collectively, these are card number 10. Number 9 on my list is this 2000-2001 Topps Chrome Final Piece Prime Relic of Reggie Miller, numbered to 25. And I'll show you the hand numbering there on the back. This one's 15 out of 25. And those of you that know my collection will know that this checks off multiple boxes for me. Number one, I collect rare Pacers patches. So this is one that you're uh, definitely not going to see very often. And then number two, I collect NBA Finals relics regardless of the team. Um, so yes, it just so happens to be a Pacers card as well. And then I guess after this card was, uh, after I acquired this, Reggie Miller was named to the top 75. So it fits that portion of the PC as well. And I feel very fortunate to own this card. Not only that, I feel very fortunate that this card was even manufactured. Because Finals Relics, even though they were becoming more of a regular thing at this time, this was the first year that included a Prime Finals Relic set. And actually, there were three versions of this card. The regular Tops 2000-2001 Tops um, had the non-chromium version, which was also called Final Piece, uses this same design, but it had the regular Jersey Relics. Um, that was only in Series 2. And then Topps Chrome had this version numbered to 25 and also a refractor version numbered to 10. And I do not own the refractor version. Would love to track that down at some point. But um, as I mentioned, this was a Prime Finals Relic set. And there wasn't another Prime Finals Relic set until 2006. So the odds that they only made one Prime Relic set in that time frame for NBA Finals cards... And then also that it was the only year my team made the NBA Finals. Um, you know, those are some pretty slim odds. So like I said, I feel very fortunate that this card was made and also very happy to house it in my PC today. So that's card number nine. Card number eight is this 2013-2014 Immaculate Jumbo Numbers patch of Elgin Baylor, numbered, as you can see here, two out of four. And obviously Elgin Baylor is someone that I wasn't able to watch in person. In fact, I never even met him after his career was over either. But from everything I've read and everyone I've talked to, it seems like his career is vastly underrated. And then I read his autobiography, which made me appreciate him even more. You know, it didn't matter that he was one of the best basketball players on the planet. Everything was still segregated when he played. And it wasn't an easy world and it wasn't a fair world that he had to navigate back in the late 50s and in the 60s. And, you know, even though that was going on in his home country, he still served the United States and the Army Reserves during his career and spent the entirety of the 61-62 season flying to whatever Lakers games he was allowed to play on weekends. He ended up playing 48 games that year, and he averaged over 38 points per game. And let me assure you, you know, he wasn't flying back and forth in a private jet or anything like that. So when I finally had the chance to grab a Jumbo Prime Relic for Elgin Baylor, I jumped on it. Um, earlier in the countdown, I showed off a Triple Relic 
that featured Barry, Baylor, and Bird. And that had a piece of a blue Lakers jersey. Um, I know Topps made some nameplate cards out of that jersey and a laundry tag, but that was it as far as the jumbo relics go. And Panini's had a couple of Baylor jerseys at least, but for the most part, they've used them sparingly, you know, because that stuff's not easy to come by and it's not cheap. Well, they were a little more generous in the earlier years of Immaculate and Flawless, like this card here is from 2013 Immaculate, and that's where this numbers patch came in. This was on eBay for a long time for a price that I, you know, felt like was pretty high. Eventually someone bought it and uh, I was, you know, you know that feeling when you're following a card, you're not going to buy it, but then someone buys it. It's like, ooh, you know, maybe I should have gotten that. Well, I saw that person posted on Instagram and I, I tried not to immediately ask to buy it. All I just said was, hey, you know, I really like this card. I'm, I'm glad you were able to get it. If you decide to move it, just let me know. Just reach out. And he more or less indicated that this would never leave his collection. You know, that's fine. Well, it wasn't long after that that it did, in fact, leave his collection. And I never had a chance at it. So it showed up on another dealer's profile in a large lot of cards. I immediately reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I know where you got this from. Maybe we can work out a deal. I'd been trying to work with this guy before. And um, I have to say he was very easy to work with. And we agreed on a price. So moral of the story, though, is that I should have bought it the first time when I saw it on eBay. But regardless, this is a card that I really, really value, both for Baylor's basketball significance, because um, I didn't even talk about it in this video, but he really innovated the game and um, kind of brought it a, more of a style that was closer to the rim for a, a wing player. But um, not, not just that. It wasn't just about what he did on the court, but it's also about what he did off the court. And I've tried to use cards to share stories with people. So this card is a prime example of that. And that's why this ranks at card number eight. Card number seven is this 2005-2006 Upper Deck Trilogy Trimarks Triple Autograph card of Danny Granger, Sarunas Yasikavages, and Ron Artest. And I've already talked about how there was a very small window there where my PC player, Ron Artest, signed Pacers cards card companies, although now he's back signing with Panini, um, albeit he's signing Metal World Peace. But there was a very small window where he signed Ron Artest for the Pacers during his playing days. And I've also already talked about Danny Granger's significance to the franchise, so just know that this card already has those qualities factored in. On top of that, it's got a really cool looking acetate design, and I know this black backdrop is probably not the best way to represent that, but you can see it is acetate here. I've done some shots on my Instagram where I've, you know, photographed the card outside and it looks a lot better. So anyway, great looking design. All three autographs here are on card and it's limited to 40 copies. I think there might also be a parallel number to 10, but I waited and waited and waited for one of these to show up online over the last couple of years, really the last handful of years, and it didn't. And at the same time, I knew one of my good friends in the hobby, Steve, a.k.a. Vintage Pacers on Instagram. I knew that he owned one. And um, this past summer, we were going to meet up for the first time. You know, I say meet up. We had been trading for like six years, but we had never actually met in person. So we were going to coordinate that, go to Indiana, meet up, go to this Midwest Monster Card Show in Fishers, Indiana, which we had a blast there. But before I made that trip, I asked Steve, you know, what are the odds of you moving that triple autograph card? Because I've really been wanting one. And I knew he wasn't actively looking to move it, 
Um, so I didn't want to twist his arm or anything like that. But at the same time, I knew I had some stuff that he might want. You know, it wouldn't hurt to at least start the conversation. So he looked through my Flickr and found a pair of Danny Granger cards that he liked. Uh, one of them was a UD Black Patch Auto number to 15. And the other was a Panini Season Update Season's Best Relic that featured a piece of a Mel Simon Tribute Patch, which I really liked both of those cards. Um, and even the second one, I had two copies of it, but I was kind of trying to hoard them. I have a tendency to do that, as you've seen here. But um, at the end of the day, though, there were three cards on the table between the two of us. This card that I wanted, the two cards I owned that he wanted. We really didn't know current values for any of them, so I asked him what he thought was fair. And uh, he asked if I'd do the two for one. And I tried not to overthink it. it. You know, it came down to, do I really want this triple auto? Yes. Am I okay parting with these other two cards, knowing they're going to a good friend in the process? Yes. So I agreed to the deal. And now that I have the card in hand and I've owned it for a little while now, I'm really happy we could make it happen. So that is why this is card number seven. Number six is this 2004-2005 Upper Deck Ultimate Premium Patches Jumbo Patch Card of Reggie Miller numbered 65 out of 75. And I've talked about this set already. I think the Jermaine O'Neal uh, was number 47 on my countdown, but um, it was a lot harder and it took me a lot longer to obtain this Reggie Miller. And uh, interesting story with this particular copy here. I tried to acquire this several times. So I knew somebody who owned this exact copy, and um, I had a, a football card that he was after, and we were trying to come up with a trade, and we just couldn't come to a, an equal amount. So that trade kind of fell through. He had the card listed on eBay for what I thought was a really high amount, and I just let it sit. And eventually it got taken down because I think he sold it locally. So fast forward, I don't know, a year or so, maybe less than that, I'm at the 2021 National, and I see this exact card, and I realize it's the one, the patch copy that I had been trying to trade for, and um, the price was high, and uh, there was a thought in my mind, you know, I am not leaving this booth without this card, so I'm going to make this work somehow. I ended up trading for half of it and paying cash for the other half, and I gave up some pretty good stuff, probably way more than I should have, but, you know, guess what? This card, here it is now at number six on my countdown. So it's it's one that I obviously don't regret acquiring, even if it did cost me quite a bit, because this is just one of my favorite sets of all time, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, and even though they are numbered to 75, good luck finding them. In fact, I'd love to uh, add another Reggie. If I saw one, I would probably make a run at it. Okay, guys, allow me to break away from the countdown for just a moment to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Card number five is this 2003-2004 Topps Jersey Edition Logo Man 1 of 1 of Ron Artest. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Topps Jersey Edition, it was a two-year product from Topps where basically the base cards were um, just basic relics. 
And then there, the only prime was this Logo Man 101. And there were other variations of the regular relics. I think there was a copper, there was a black. Um, and like I said, that product was out for two years. And I've got a Fred Jones here, um, not because it's on the list, but just to show you the difference between the O2 and the O3. I actually like the O2 design better, but I don't have the R-Test from that set. But I do have it for 2003, and Ron R-Test is my PC guy. And every time I post these, people kind of rag on these because um, maybe they weren't around at the time or whatever. Or, you know, it does kind of look a little amateur because they just took the jersey window here. And uh, instead of, you know, extending the foil here, they just kind of extended the cutout. So it looks like a custom or looks like a fake. But um, in all reality, it is the real deal. Although there were some fakes that floated around out there. One of the things that you really need to look for flip it over here so you can see it, is the stamping. On the 2003-2004, the one of one was written as a one and a slash and a one here at the bottom. And then on the 0203, let me put this cover back on here. It was on the top side and it was written out as one of one. Um, but something that's pretty cool that they'll also show you on the back here is that this jersey was acquired from NBA Properties, which Topps always said but they told you, uh, like in this case, this our test was used between it was used in the 2003-2004 NBA regular season. Now this was a card when I was collecting Ron R. Test in high school. I I would never imagine that I would own this one. So um, you know, years later when the opportunity came up, I think around maybe 2015-2016, when the opportunity came up to acquire this card on eBay, uh, I jumped at it because it was so nostalgic for me, and to this day it is still. A centerpiece of my collection. That's why this card ranks at card number five. Card number four is another Ron Artest card. Yes, get used to that. And it comes from a product called 2005-2006 Topps Big Game. And this is the in the name set. And kind of like it sounds, it is a piece of the nameplate. Uh, this case, it is the letter T. And between the in the name set and the selective swatches set from Topps Big Game, I felt like that was kind of a precursor to um, maybe 2012 Immaculate. Not to say that you know they're exactly the same or the designs are the same, but it was nice to get all of these jumbo patches for so many players early on in the 2000s. I mean, there were a lot of um, you know lesser known players that got cards in this set as well, so that was a pretty big deal, especially for player collectors. I was not able to acquire this back in the day when I was collecting Ron Artest. Um, I wish I had been able. These were cards that I saved pictures of them on my computer, on my hard drive, because uh, it was kind of like a little museum that I was building, but never thought I'd own one. They were always kind of out of reach, and, and I wish I had grabbed them back then. They were considerably cheaper, but my hobby budget was next to nothing. So um, let's take a look at the design of this card real quick. Uh, I know the front is is maybe not you know ideal. It, it'd be nice if there's a picture of Ron Artest on there, but they didn't give us that on the front. Instead, we got this kind of this basketball design. And, and no, it's not bumpy. It looks like it should be like some of the you know the cards from like 1996 that had that basketball design. But uh, we did get a picture of Ron on the back, among other things. So you've got the picture of Ron Artest here. You've got the name of the player here, and what typically happened was. A Topps employee went through with a marker and they put an X by whatever letter was featured on the front of this card. Now, in this case, they actually put an X by the wrong T. Not a big deal, but you can tell that just using the, the pinstripes to line it up. Not a big deal. It's still the letter T. 
And then we've got a 101 here. It's not a stamp on this card. They just printed it on there. And it says the letter on the front of this jersey, uh, front of this card comes from the game-worn jersey shown here. And then we did get the Topps 101 sticker. That seemed like a pretty big deal back in the day. That always made these cards feel very official. Um, and then the thing that I like the most, they've got a picture of the game-worn jersey there. Now, if you'll notice, this is from when Ron Artest wore 91, which was a very short time frame. That was the 2004-2005 season. Well, five weeks into that season was the brawl in Detroit. So he only wore this jersey for you know, a short amount of time. I think the Pacers played 17 games in that time span. Ron was injured for some of those. If you uh, take out the home games, counting preseason, I think there were only like eight games that this jersey could have been from. So I actually went on Getty Images and looked at multiple pictures from each one of those games, trying to line the pinstripes up to figure out what game this was from. Um, and sadly, I wasn't able to match it up. So that's a little concerning to me. You know, maybe it was from, there was one preseason game I didn't have pictures of, or maybe he wore a couple jerseys during a game. I know some players will, will switch jerseys at halftime. Or, you know, truth be told, even though this says it's game-worn, maybe this was a big batch of jerseys that the Pacers gave tops at some point during the season. And it was game-issued, but because of the brawl, Ron never got to wear it. Either way, it's a piece of history associated with my player uh, from one of my favorite sets. So you can see why this ranks so high on my countdown. This here is card number four. Card number three features another card from the same product that I just talked about. This is a 2005-2006 Topps Big Game Selective Swatches card of Reggie Miller. And the Ron Artest that I just showed you was from the In the Game set, which had kind of the basketball pattern around the side. Um, so that had just nameplate pieces, whereas Selective Swatches had maybe team logos, um, like the Bulls had a bull head on the back of their jersey. I've seen some of those. Um, in this case here, it is the name Indiana from a Pacers home jersey. So um, pretty nice looking patch still. I mean, you know, the card itself, the design isn't all that great, but uh, the patch kind of speaks for itself here. And then if you flip it over, there's some of the same features that I really liked from the In the Name set. You'll also see on the Selective Swatches set. They've just kind of moved some of this stuff around. So they don't have the, the name up here. They moved the picture down a little bit. It still says it's a one of one. It still says that the patch came from a game-worn jersey as shown. So um, you can see that Reggie Miller jersey here on this side. And um, interesting fact about this card, this is the card that kind of sold me on using Instagram because I joined Instagram sometime around 2018 and um, was just trying to get used to it and, and just wanted to, to join something that would help me to share my cards and would help me to network a little bit. Well, about a week after I joined Instagram, someone reached out to me and he said, I know where a Reggie Miller Selective Swatch card is, but it's going to cost you. It's, it's not going to be cheap at all. And uh, I was kind of bracing myself for the price that was about to show up on my screen. And lo and behold, it, it, was, it seemed pretty reasonable. So um, I happily sent him the money and the card came my way. And ever since then, I have not looked back. I've used Instagram for all sorts of you know, networking and acquiring cards and making deals. So it's been a very valuable hobby platform for me. So combine that with the fact that this is from one of my favorite products of all time, one of my favorite sets of all time, one of my favorite players of all time, 
uh, then there's it's pretty easy to see why this card made it into my top three. Number two on my list is this 2005-2006 Upper Deck Ultimate Collection autographed NBA logo patch 101 of Ron Artest. And I've said it before that Ron Artest doesn't have a lot of on-card autographs in a Pacers uniform. Well, this is one of the few that are out there. And I honestly think it, that it was probably signed after he had been traded to the Kings for Peja Stojakovic. Because if you look at the signature here, this is something that I haven't seen on the other Pacers ones. This is one that was on a lot of the Kings cards, maybe that featured Pacers relics. But it's got his autograph, and then it's got the number 93. And the first time he wore 93 was when he was with the Kings. Um, and just a side note here, every number that Ron had stood for something. So like the 9 and the 3 are supposed to stand for a Q and a B, as in Queensbridge, which is where he's from. So uh, interesting little note about that. So I think that was from that transition time where he was traded or after he was traded. Um, but needless to say, this is a card from a set that was a premium product and the look matches the price of the card. A lot of times we'll see high high dollar sets now that don't necessarily look like high dollar cards, but this is one that matches up for me. Uh, this is my PC player, very rare card. So when that popped up at auction, uh, I put in a ridiculous number and, and kind of cringed when it got there. But when all is said and done, I am very happy to own this card. And this is number two on my countdown. All right, we finally made it. Card number one on my 50 favorite cards countdown does not include Ron Artest, although it probably should, but it includes a lot of his contemporaries. It is a 2004-2005 Skybox Fresh Ink 5-on-5 Jerseys Prime Edition, numbered to 10. Um, and you see here, if you're looking at this, you might be thinking, well, you know, I wouldn't envision a, a Pistons card would be your favorite card. Uh, and to me, even though this is the front of the card, this is not a Pistons card. I'm going to put the, the cover on here so I can flip it over for you. But this is a Pacers card. And as you can see here, it's got Reggie Miller, Jamal Tinsley, Austin Crozier, Jonathan Bender, and David Harrison. Now, probably not the strongest Pacers lineup that they could have rolled out with. Probably not even the strongest Pacers lineup that they had materials for especially when you compare it to the Pistons on here. I mean, you've got Chauncey Billups, Tayshaun Prince, Rashid, Rip Hamilton, and Ben Wallace. That is a tough, tough, tough starting lineup there. But um, my theory here is that they were going to include at least some combination of Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steven Jackson on here um, had they not been involved in the brawl. So this was a very intense rivalry before the brawl, so I think that's why the card was designed to begin with, because they had already had a couple of tough playoff series with one another. But um, then the brawl happened, and I know Ron Artest got pulled from all of the products after that. Um, I think Jermaine O'Neal ended up back in some products, as did Steven Jackson, but um, at this time, it looks like they chose not to include them. So um, this was still a tough card to land. Um, number one, even just seeing it is hard enough. Um, the jersey number, jersey version is numbered to 199, and those don't pop up all that often. This one's numbered to 10. And if you think about it here, I was battling with team collectors for both the Pacers and the Pistons, and then player collectors for a lot of really good players. So um, I'm very fortunate to have obtained this one. 
I've had a lot of people ask me about this one, but um, this goes back to my favorite era of Pacers basketball. It goes back to a rivalry that I was very emotionally invested in, a rivalry that I still think about to this day. Of course, the brawl, I still think about that a lot to this day. We've had some documentaries come out since then. Reggie's one of my favorite players. I've had David Harrison on the show. Um, so overall, this is just a very important card to me that brings back a lot of memories. And this is the number one on my countdown. All right, well, there you have it. I really enjoyed putting this list together. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm pretty bummed out that the whole thing's come to an end. If I had to do the whole thing again, um, you know, I'd probably change the order up a little, especially in that 25 to 50 range. I think the more I started interacting with this list and talking about certain pieces, the more I realized that, you know, some of them had been misplaced. And um, there are other pieces, though, that people tried to tell me I had misplaced and they won't be moving at all. You know, those are secure in their ranking. For me, the best part about this whole list is that it was tailored to my collection. So it wasn't the most valuable cards or the most sought after cards necessarily. It was all about the cards that I like. And moving forward, this list has also kind of helped me prioritize my buying. It has me itching to find a few cards that would crack that top 50. So now I think about that when I'm trying to allocate my hobby funds. I think it's changed my perspective a little bit for the better. At least I hope that it has. Now, maybe you've been following this thing and and now you're considering creating a similar project. I'd love to follow along. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>